Welcome into the Rebound Rundown. Today is Thursday, November 24th, 2022. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I'm your host, Paul Fritchner, and this is produced by Chatterbox Sports. This is your Daily Digest college basketball show where you can get your info on Cincinnati area college hoops every Monday through Friday in 10 to 15 minute episodes. I'd like to start this Thanksgiving off by saying that I'm very thankful for all of you who have made this Rebound Rundown show so successful over the last couple of weeks. It's been a great start, and I'm looking forward to keeping this momentum rolling. I have Justin Williams on today to talk about Cincinnati's performance in Maui, where the Bearcats picked up a win yesterday over Louisville, 81-62 in the seventh-place game. David DeJulius led the Bearcats with 26, and we'll do a full State of the Union on Cincinnati in just a minute. Northern Kentucky wrapped up a tough week at the Gulf Coast Showcase with an 82-69 loss to Toledo yesterday and finished the tournament 0-3. NKU dug themselves into an early hole in this one, trailing 15-0 and then 28-8 and just never recovered. Marquez Warwick had 18 points, but he also had eight turnovers, and Sam Vinson didn't play, still nursing that injury from the Kent State game. One name to keep an eye on, though, for the Norse that could have a significant impact if he continues to develop at this rate is freshman L.J. Wells, a 6'7 forward. Word out of NKU is that he has been practicing very well lately, and it paid off with a breakout game yesterday when he had 20 points and grabbed seven rebounds. The Norse return home for a game against Tennessee Tech on Sunday. Well, I mentioned yesterday that Dayton was facing a classic style of Wisconsin basketball in the opener in the battle for Atlantis, and it doesn't get any more classic than what we saw in the Bahamas on Tuesday. Wisconsin beat Dayton 43-42. to Yes, you heard that right, 43-42. to Dayton only scored 14 points in the first half, which was the lowest scoring half of basketball that Dayton has played since 2016. Kobe Elvis was the only flyer who scored in double figures when he went for 16 points. Deron Holmes missed the game-tying free throw with about a minute left, and then Elvis drove down the right side of the lane as time was winding down, but he had his shot blocked. Dayton now turns their attention to an NC State team that is ranked 67th on Ken Palm and who lost 80-74 to defending national champion Kansas yesterday. Dayton and NC State tip off at 4 Eastern. Kentucky blew out North Florida by 40, winning 96-56. Jacob Toppin had a double-double with 20 points and 10 rebounds. Oscar Shibway had a double-double with 16 points and 15 rebounds. And Antonio Reeves added 20 points of his own. The Wildcats aren't in action again until next Tuesday against Bellarmine. Wright State easily took care of Weber State in the Raiders' final game of the Vegas Four, 87-65. Brandon Knoll led the Raiders with 23 points and 7 rebounds and was one of five Wright State players to score in double figures. The Raiders have a long break before playing next Thursday, December 1st, against Robert Morris. Now let's hear from Justin Williams about Cincinnati, and on the other side of Justin, a preview of the PK-85. Justin Williams, thanks for joining me again today on the Rebound Rundown. UC gets their first win at Maui, an 81-62 win over Louisville. Let's first get your overall impression of this win, Justin. A much better second half for UC, outscoring the Cardinals 50-32. to David DeJulius goes for 26 to lead all scores. Landers Nolly has 21. An up-and-down tournament for Landers Nolly after he scores 33 
in game one and now 21 here in game two. And that was sandwiched in a, in between a performance yesterday, Justin worry, or uh, two days ago, as you're listening to this, where he only scored two points against Ohio state. So let's get your overall impression of this win over Louisville. Yeah. I mean, the, and first half, even, you know, the Julius hits a three at the buzzer to give him a one point lead going into halftime. But before that, you're thinking like, this could be a pretty bad trip out to Maui for the Bearcats if they lose to an 0 and 5 Louisville team who was terrible. Fortunately for Cincinnati, Louisville continued to be terrible in the second half. The Bearcats kind of got their act together. They got the Julius and, and Nolly both going. And that's what was so weird about, you know, the, the night, the previous night as we talked about some of these other games they played. But, you know, against Ohio State, they couldn't get Nolly to Julius or Davenport going at all on offense. And, you know, you would hope that every night you could maybe get two or three of those guys going worst case scenario, one of three. And, and it just wasn't clicking against Ohio state. And so fortunately for Cincinnati, they were able to turn that around against Louisville and get out of Maui with not a great win, but a win nonetheless. <laughs> how much of this, Justin, do you feel like was UC being better or how much of it was Louisville just being not a good basketball team? Yeah, I mean, I think the second half went the way it should have been. Louisville is not good. Cincinnati is, you know, an, an inconsistent team that is certainly not great, but m better than Louisville. And so I think the, the way the second half went reflected kind of maybe the actual point that both these teams are at. Yeah, yeah. Cincinnati outscored Louisville in transition 29 to four, uh, outscored them in the paint 30 to 26, out rebounded them by one. Uh, but just overall, it felt like this was a win that maybe, maybe it feels like might get UC back on track a little bit going into the next couple of weeks yeah it's certainly just better than the contrary like if they're coming home on that flight oh and three and you know and and lose losing to a bad team after just two kind of odd games before that you're not feeling great this way you get a win yeah they're you know i don't know how much the rivalry means to these guys especially when they're playing it out in maui like you know none of these guys have played in that rivalry before it's been so long but at least maybe the fan base feels a little bit better about beating louisville and and yeah then you're going back and what i think they play bryant uh, next week who um is is you know a good team for uh for a bye game and then you have the shootout on december 10th and the way maui went they really need to get that that win over xavier because otherwise you're looking at a non-conference slate with you know no decent wins really yeah louisville's their highest ranked win right now at 171 uh on mm -hmm. ken palm arizona was number eight ohio state was 21 um, but you also have that loss in there to Northern Kentucky, which at the end of the year, especially by, you know, the the margin of victory there at 13 for NKU, that's something that the the tournament committee can look at. Um, that now, like you said, where you're looking at a non-conference schedule where Xavier's the last real high major team that UC is going to play in, in the non-conference schedule. Um, how do you feel like today – for Landers Nolly and David DeJulia sets them up, especially with that, like I said, roller coaster tournament that Landers Nolly kind of had. Yeah, and you know, that's why they brought Landers in, not not the middle game, but he's a guy who can get you 30 points or, or 20 points. And, you know, they were really missing some extra scoring pop, especially on the wing last year. And and so much of the offensive emphasis was it was on David's shoulders. And so, yeah, you know, I actually think Landers you know, he's, he is, I think he is a consistent score. I think he will be that, that middle game where he only scored two is odd, but that's why last year when it was just the Julius and then Davenport having hit threes, you know, if, 
if, if DeJulius is having a bad night or if they're kind of keying in on Davenport, that offense really struggled. Uh, when you add that extra guy in Nolly, you hope that it kind of, again, adds some some multiples, at least to what you're trying to do. And, and that's why that middle game was so frustrating. So as long as one of those guys, DeJulius and Nolly, can, can have it going on any given night, I think it at least gives them a chance to be competitive against most of the teams on their schedule. Going back to the Arizona game, you look at Tubelis and Balo and the success that they had in the post. What do you think some of UC's struggles are down low in the post, in the paint, and, and how can they overcome that? Yeah, I mean, I wrote about this a lot coming into the year. I think Cincinnati's thin in the paint. Um, that They don't really have a true rim presence. The unfortunate thing about Arizona is, like, that is the worst possible team for Cincinnati to play based on their weaknesses. Like, you know, yeah. Arizona might have the best front court in the country. And that's something, you know, I don't think Cincinnati will ever look that bad in the front court the rest of the year, but that's because I, I think they played the best against Arizona, but uh, they really did. It exposed some of the issues that I think a lot of fans knew. And I certainly expected they might have coming into this season. So in terms of, you know, I don't know, antidotes for it, it's Victor Lockin staying out of foul trouble and, and maybe getting a little bit tougher on the defensive end. They haven't gotten a ton from Kalua Zekpe, the transfer yet. You would hope that maybe it's just him still trying to find his way. But I think the best thing they could possibly say about it is we don't have to play a team as good as Arizona again. <laughs> yeah, especially until, with how I, good say until, I say that until they get to Houston, then they can all come <laughs> roaring back. Well, that's not until January 8th. So you got some time in there to to kind of figure that one out. But uh, yeah, I mean, you look at how Arizona was running in transition, how they were feeding the post to Bellis had 14 and eight at halftime. And now all of a sudden you're thinking to yourself, okay, we got to slow them down. But at the same time, we got to figure out what we can do in the post to stop not just one, but two guys that are nationally renowned for how they play down around the basket. Yeah, just the uh, the rim protection is going to be a problem. Rebounding is going to be a problem. And again, when you're going against those two guys, there were a couple of plays where Ballo just he caught the ball, uh, you know, even outside the paint, and he decided, all right, I'm just going to bowl over whoever's in front of me and score. <laughs> and he did it. And again, you know, Houston will do be able to do that to them. I don't know if anyone on their schedule can do it to that extent, but it's something that, fortunately for Cincinnati, maybe with a less degree of talent on the other side, but it's something they're going to have to deal with all year. Yeah, no doubt. So let's take a look now moving forward and some of the things that maybe you feel like uh, Cincinnati can take away from this where Landers Nolly, we talked a lot about him, David Julius, but maybe some of the other names. Skillings goes for just three points today in 13 minutes. Jeremiah Davenport was one for seven from the field in 34 minutes. Uh, How much of a concern is that uh, for UC? So Davenport's game against Louisville, I thought was a good example. He didn't shoot well. But he did a couple other things well. He's not a good defender at all, but he took a couple charges. He had a couple nice assists, like in the flow of the game. And for Davenport, it almost felt a lot of times last year like, all right, if he wasn't hitting threes, it was almost just a bad idea to have him on the floor altogether. And I think, you know, the Louisville game showed that, okay, at least he can still be a productive guy. You might always want to be in your third guy, you know, offensively. Um, but even if he can do some things that where it's it's just not like you have to feel like you pull him off the floor, I think that's a positive for him. So I, I thought that was encouraging on a night he'd shoot well. Uh, and then yeah, you know they're still they're going to be without John Newman until February at the earliest, and they're going to just have to figure out you know where some of that defensive toughness, intensity, running the floor is going to come from. I think Skillings is going to be good. It just might take some growing pains because he's a freshman, uh, and he's certainly not the defender um, that 
that John Newman is. Hensley's minutes were kind of up and down. I know he was battling an ankle injury last week, but I thought his minutes and usage were a little bit weird uh, out in Maui. So I'm curious if that was injury related or just trying to find him a spot. But I think you just need one of those wing guys to at least step up and give you something uh, there. And then I think their bigger issues, though, are at point guard and uh, in the post. They need to get more out of Rob Fennessy. They need to get more out of Kalua Zikpe. Uh, of the three transfers they brought in, Nolly's really the only one that's producing. And for them to be good this year, that they're going to have to be better than that. Yeah. Last question for you, and I'll let you go. The, on the defensive side of the floor, uh, what do you feel like UC's got to correct on on some issues defensively? I mean, it's, yeah, for me, it always goes back to the post presence. I just, you know, you're not going to have a true rim protector. So again, seeing guys like JD step up and take some charges, Vic took a couple charges of the past couple games. That's encouraging because they're going to need that. I thought Odio Guama came in and, and at least played pretty well against Louisville. He had 6.6 rebounds. Again, you're, you're taking a, a bad team and seeing how they play because those guys did not look nearly as good against Arizona and Ohio State. But you're just going to need some level of improvement in the post um, moving forward to, I think, continue to have a chance as you get into conference play. Justin, as always, I appreciate it. Let's check in with you again during shootout week in a couple of weeks. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it, Justin. Xavier begins the PK 85 today, tipping off at 530 Eastern on ESPN2. This is the second time this event has been held. The first was five years ago for the PK 80 the event honors Phil Knight, the co-founder of Nike, for his 85th birthday, which is why it's called the PK-85. There are two separate brackets for this event. There's the Phil Knight Legacy and the Phil Knight Invitational. Xavier is in the Legacy side, along with Duke, Florida, Gonzaga, Oregon State, Portland State, Purdue, and West Virginia. The Invitational side includes Alabama, Iowa State, Michigan State, North Carolina, Oregon, Portland, Connecticut, and Villanova. Each team will play Thursday, Friday, and Sunday with a guarantee of three games. And you might be wondering, why are UConn and Villanova on the same side of the bracket when they play in the same conference? UConn had an exception into this tournament from when they were back in the AAC. The winners of the two brackets do not play each other. Picture it like it's Maui and the Battle for Atlantis being played in the same place. If Xavier beats Florida... They will play the winner of Duke-Oregon State on Friday. If Xavier loses, they'll play the loser of that game. Winning the first game of a tournament like this is one of the most important games on a team's schedule for the whole season because it puts you in the winner's bracket and gives you the chance to potentially beat the likes of Duke, Purdue, Gonzaga, West Virginia, lose, and your non-conference schedule just generally suffers. You might remember Florida because Xavier beat them 72-56 to at the Cintas Center in the second round of the NIT back in March. Florida is 3-1 on the season this year with a two-point loss against Florida Atlantic a little over a week ago. They beat Florida State by nine last Friday, who's actually ranked 32 spots lower than Florida Atlantic. Florida's other wins are against Stony Brook and Kennesaw State, so this will be the first real major test for the Gators and their new head coach, Todd Golden, who joins the Gators from San Francisco. Florida is led by 6'11 forward Colin Castleton. He's scored at least 25 in the last three games. You might also remember Kyle Lofton, who played for a St. Bonaventure team that lost to Xavier in the NIT at Madison Square Garden. Lofton transferred to Florida and has played almost the entire game in each of the last two. 
Another connection in this game is Xavier guard Sule Boom, who started his collegiate career at San Francisco, where Todd Golden was an assistant at the time, before Boom transferred to UTEP and then eventually to Xavier. Just like the Indiana game, the matchup to watch here is between the big men of Colin Castleton, Jack Nungy, and Zach Fremantle. Outside of Castleton, though, Florida isn't all that deep in the post. Xavier is a one-and-a-half-point favorite as I record this. Some national nuggets. The Maui final was a thriller. Arizona won 81-79, but Creighton continued to show that they are the real deal. Arizona might just be one of the best teams in the country, especially with their front court of Tabellus and Balo. Then last night in Maui, San Diego State had a chance for a great resume win over Arkansas, but the Razorbacks pulled off some late-game heroics to send that one to overtime and eventually win 78-74. Georgetown lost 74-70 to American University, Ohio State beat Texas Tech 80-73, and Tennessee beat Butler 71-45. That'll do it for the Turkey Day edition of the Rebound Rundown. Thank you again so much for spending part of your Thanksgiving with me, and enjoy today's hoops. Have a great day. Treat yourself to that fourth plate of food, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.